The following audio is via a Skype call. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour on this Friday. So happy to have you with us. And so happy once again to be working with bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Senor Benny, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for uh, having me back, I guess. I'm still in contract, right? Is it? We're still good. We're still good. Oh, we're we're good. Oh, okay, we're great. way Just good. Sure. You're okay, more sorry. on. Co- you're probably more under contract <laughs> than we are. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> so uh, yes, here we are once again and challenging our listeners, which Suzanne and I almost perversely like to do with ideas that you don't often hear discussed on what is known as terrestrial radio, commercial radio, community radio. And it's fun because when you get a, a tip from somebody as estimable, and she's a good friend besides, Rosemary Ellen Guiley told us about the gentleman we are about to interview. And when she says, I'm sending you this book, I think you'd be a great guest. We believe her instantly. Yes, we do. She has a lot of credibility when it comes to us. And so we are favored to bring in Robert Davis, PhD. And I definitely want to. You have... And I give you credit, Suzanne. You're a very methodical person. I am. I always, you are a role model in this household because you you have a very rational mind, you have a big heart, and you have a big notepad. And you take lots of notes and you develop questions. And I'm sort of along for the ride, but this is going to be a good time, I can tell. The book is called Unseen Forces, The Integration of Science, Reality, and You. Now, there are some mad props to go with Dr. Robert Davis. Why don't you go ahead and do the honors? I'm going to take this right out of the book. Dr. Robert Davis is an internationally recognized scientist in his field. He graduated with a Ph.D. in sensory neuroscience from The Ohio State University and served as a professor at the State University of New York for over 30 years. Davis has published over 60 articles in scholarly journals, lectured at numerous national and international conferences, and was awarded major grants by scientific organizations to fund research in the neurosciences. He is the author of two popular books. The first is The UFO Phenomenon, Should I Believe? And the second is Life After Death an analysis of the evidence. He has discussed his work at conferences throughout the world and has appeared on many podcasts and radio shows. I will be sure to give out his website again before the end of the hour, but I'll give you a preview. It's bobdavisspeaks.com. And he's debuting for the first time on Manson Mitchell. Welcome to Manson Mitchell, Dr. Robert Davis. How are you today, Bob? I'm fine, and thank you for the invitation. And thank you for letting us call you Bob, because, I mean, this is the book. Like we're best friends. Uh, Right. An eminent scientist writing this book, and he lets us call him Bob. I think that's terrific. It just (laughs) sets the tone for a more casual conversation. (laughs) So so here you are, an esteemed scientist, having gotten your Ph.D. at The Ohio State University. Suzanne, so what do you want to open with, Gary? And I said, I am going to throw just the gentlest curve his way, and we'll see if he has anything, any insights to offer about that. With your PhD coming from Ohio State University, Bob, let me open with this little anecdote. The wow signal was a strong, narrowband radio signal received on August 15, 1977, by Ohio State University's Big Ear Radio Telescope in the United States. The wow signal. I'm curious to know 
Dr. Robert Davis. Was this the subject of any conversations in the academic circles in which you traveled back in the day? Uh, no, it wasn't, uh, only because that happened in the 60s and I was a student there in the late 70s and 80s. Uh, and that wow signal still serves as a source of controversy. You know, was it uh, uh, some form of intelligence contacting us or was it just uh, an anomaly from space? Uh, and we don't know. We simply don't know. What I would point out to you, I'm just going now, I am going from Wikipedia here, but I think it's accurate. The The signal was actually received on August 15, 1977. And I bring that up. That has uh, another significance right, to it. Right, and that's a cavil right. except for yeah. one thing, Dr. Davis, and that would be, uh, at, when I heard about this, I thought, now why wouldn't that be worldwide news? That should be splashed on the headlines of every major metropolitan daily on TV, discussed on the radio, and why wouldn't something like that happen? And then I stopped and I thought about it. One day later, this happened on August 15, 1977, the next day, Elvis Presley died. So whatever it is that you may have thought was going to be news and that you were going to talk about would have been blown off the front pages by that tragic event, the early death at 42 of Elvis, the king of rock and roll. It, you know, people have to choose in, in the media. You choose in the news business what you're going to pay attention to. And it, it, you know the old ugly saying, if it bleeds, it leads, right? But I'm I feel in a way that the wow signal was cheated of its proper uh, importance, its significance to the world community in trying to figure out the ultimate question. Are we alone? Well, I, I doubt we are alone. The uh, question is whether or not uh, some form of intelligence is actually visiting our planet and interacting with humans as so many people claim throughout recorded history to the present day. And, and that confusion in dates is such that Dr. Alan Hynek, actually, who led uh, the scientific investigation in Project Blue Book back in the 60s to study the UFO phenomena, he was an astrophysicist from Ohio State University. So I got my dates mixed up. I wouldn't give, however, any, any great credence to that wow signal. Uh, there's no way to backtrack and, and confirm its validity in terms of an intelligence source. We have, I think, more significant uh, evidence in the form of potential interaction or communication between other intelligences and individuals on our planet. Obviously, a, a topic of great controversy and, and debate. Uh, but I do attempt to address that uh, in my latest book. I think that's wonderful. And again, uh, we're going to uh, be mentioning the title because we want people to go out and buy this book. It, it's a wonderfully challenging book. It's the kind of book you ought to read if you want to look more deeply into mind, with a capital M, into the cosmos and your relation to all of that. Unseen Forces, that's the title of the book, Unseen Forces, The Integration of Science, Reality, and You. And Suzanne, at this point, you have so many tidy notes there. I'll jump in here, and I want to do one more thing before you get ready with your plethora of questions. I you make it sound a little bit greater than it is. Now I'm scared. The, you put all this effort into it. Okay. And there may be someone who has a question that who might be equal to the task of taking on a Robert Davis PhD when it comes to subjects as weighty as this one. 
So let me give the number out a couple of times. If you have a comment, if you have a question, call us up. We'll put you on the air. You can call 425-373-5527. Let me repeat that. Area code 425-373-5527. And we will find out if someone is interested in engaging Dr. Robert Davis about this subject of unseen forces and the implications for mind, for science, for philosophy, for religion, for that matter. It's all such an amazing, amazing topic, and it's open to endless speculation, despite the fact that there's so much rigorous science around it. That's what I find especially intriguing. And with that, Suzanne... I would say, wait to see if you get your question answered before you call in. <laughs> you can anticipate we, we got maybe. We got a lot of questions here, so let, let's just see how this rolls. Fire away. Uh, I... I you know, you did the opening about Ohio State, but my opening was a little bit different. And that was um, having been, um, maybe still am, a neuroscientist, uh, very, very immersed in the, in the physical laws, in realism, in physical sciences, looking at the, the five senses. I'm so curious about the two books that you've written before, Unseen Forces, and now Unseen Forces, as to how could a neuroscientist who has been trained and living in one particular way for such a long time be looking at something so opposite of how it is that you have been trained to think and look at the world? Did you yourself have an experience that kind of shook your Western thinking into looking at the topic of the metaphysical world or beyond the physical? Uh, well, I did see two orange orbs in the night sky in Sedona, Arizona, and that more than got my attention. I can't conclusively make a statement as to what that was, but it was uh, so enigmatic, uh, it opened my eyes a little bit more than it already was. But the fact that I'm a human being, and the fact that, therefore, we have, I think, this innate uh, spirituality within all of us. In other words, I think we all are truth seekers at some level. We all ask the same questions. What is life? What is consciousness? Am I the brain? Do I live on after I die? Uh, are UFOs uh, you know, evidence of, of intelligence visiting us? Uh, how about out-of-body and near-death experiences? Does that mean that people are actually interacting with an alternate realm and non-human entities as so many millions contend that they do? You know, the fact that we have this anecdotal evidence, regardless whether or not I come from that, that so-called Western materialistic science background, uh, I try to always maintain an open mind, an objective viewpoint, uh, not to be overly biased by my um, rigorous, shall we say, scientific academic preparation. Uh, and I think I think we have a problem here in that we we are training people uh, through our academic curriculum to make a decision about reality that is based purely on what we experience only through our physical senses. In other words, if I don't see it, hear it, uh, quantify it, qualify it with uh, instrumentation, uh, it's not real. It doesn't exist. Uh, and I believe that is wrong. And many scientists now are shifting away from that realism 
to idealism. In other words, it's objective experience. One's interpretation and belief of reality should weigh considerably more about what is the true nature of reality. Uh, and it doesn't have to be, in other words, experienced by sense, our senses in order for something to be real. And that is a, a controversy that exists within academia right now. What is reality and how best can we evaluate it? You do talk in the book about um, what appears to be a, a, this slow evolving shift in scientific realism by scientists today. And I'm thinking that in part it may have to do with the, the, the interest in <clears throat> quantum physics, quantum thinking, the whole wave particle theory, everything concerning that is kind of uh, throwing some doubt into how we have looked at the world since Newtonian uh, philosophy came about. And, um, and I, I was very curious when I read deep into the book that you said there may come a time where there will be a discovery of a whole new energy that has not yet been accepted in science that's actually going to shift our thinking and it it reminded me of the flat earth society when when all of the scientists say the earth is flat and that's it and if you go to the edge you may fall off the edge somewhere um there had to be this this radical shift in thinking to the earth is now round well what what would be that next kind of discovery in energy which all of a sudden is going to have us thinking about things in a radically different way and looking at the world in a different way so i, I was kind of glad you brought that up have, have you read or heard anything about what that energy might be well i raised uh, the issue in the book uh, regarding a subtle connection that may exist in the form of a, a very low, ultra-weak photon emission, or a biophoton, which actually has already been detected and, and measured from cell cultures and from the body using electrodes, because we see that this um, poorly understood, relatively unknown, but not completely, energy that exists in many living systems uh, can, can possibly explain the many unexplained events that people are reporting. Uh, and and it, this comprises things like extrasensory perception or the information exchange between two minds despite being separated by time and space. It may represent a form of uh, radiation that connects subatomic particles if we address quantum mechanics as, as you did and as I do to some extent in the book uh, because we are now seeing in preliminary studies that ESP is real and if it is indeed real as I contend it is although it is not uniformly agreed upon but the evidence is more than convincing at least to me we then need to say, okay, what is allowing for this? There must be some form of energy that allows two minds to be linked, so to speak. 
that allows two subatomic particles to interact with one another. And we are now seeing again that this torsion wave generated by biophotons may indeed represent that unidentified form of energy that may actually, and I can't say for sure, represent a form of or aspect of consciousness, intention, that, that can be measured from the brain. And we are only in our infancy in terms of doing this. But one very recent study, for instance, just to give you an idea of what, where this dramatic result may take us, biophotons were measured in individuals who were sending their strong intention for healing another individual. These, this individual was a, a so-called uh, you know, medical healer using intention alone. The point is this, a tremendous increase in biophoton emissions were measured from that individual's brain. When intention stopped, it went back to the normal state of, of output. So intention, in other words, is linked with a dramatic increase in this ultra-weak photon emission recorded directly from the brain. And other studies are also demonstrating this. And we have to keep in mind that this, this undiscovered energy that is now gaining great attention and more acceptance among the scientific community may represent that uh, unique form of energy that may one day comprise Einstein's unified field theory that will coexist with the current electromagnetic, gravitational, and the two nuclear forces. And we have, in other words, an energy that might very well, can't say for sure, represent consciousness. And consciousness alone, someday, long after we're gone, will be part of that unified field theory. I don't see that happening soon, but I'm glad to know that it is somewhere on the horizon. Um, you know, I would love to have it come about sooner than later, because I think that we're we're needing a new way of looking at the world. And um, one of the two giant, giant, giant takeaways that I got from your book, Unseen Forces, The Integration of Science, Reality, and You, the, the thing that uh, caused a lot of conversation um, between uh, Gary and me was this idea of uh, are, are we accessing another reality the way that you may be able to do with an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience or even meditation where you are, your, your mind is actually going somewhere else and 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 go piercing the veil and looking into another reality or are we only seeing the reality which is around us all the time but we're we're seeing something we haven't been able to see and and I think that is such uh, an 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 interesting question to take on is it something that doesn't exist here or or is it something that exists here? And I, I know where I kind of land on that, and I'm wondering what you think about that. That's a very reasonable question. You get at the, the, the essence of the book. Essentially, is a peak experience. 
a spiritual or mystical experience, in other words, providing us evidence that people are seeing a different world or are they instead seeing this world differently? Well, we, you know, we know that energy exists that cannot be perceived. We all understand that. Animals respond to sounds we don't hear. Uh, light energy exists that we cannot see. Likewise, there may very well be an aspect of an alternate reality that exists at a slightly different frequency or phase that is not perceivable using our physical senses. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't exist and that people don't access it or, as you implied, pierce the veil uh, in a variety of different ways, either through an out-of-body or near-death ex experience or even through a psychoactive drug like uh, ayahuasca or dimethyltryptamine, DMT, through meditation, as some people claim. And the point is this, these anecdotal testimonies by individuals who have these unique experiences suggest and only suggest, and I don't fully believe it 100%, although again, I'm very open to the possibility, they contend that they are accessing an alternate reality, one that exists or coexists with ours, and, and they interact with beings in this reality, which includes, so they claim, deceased relatives, um, little greys that we associate with the uh, UFOs, uh, supreme beings, uh, and other types of non-human intelligences that these individuals contend is as real as their morning coffee. Uh, now, of course, many of these individuals are suffering from some psychological or neurobiologic aberration. And we don't have the time to get into the, those theories that suggest that certainly individuals can have illusory, hallucinatory experiences that, that result possibly in some of these reports that they believe to be valid. But they are occurring. Individuals, in other words, are, who are considered to be well-balanced are reporting the same things. And they cannot be convinced otherwise. And what is uniquely interesting is that they are transformed in a psycho-social behavioral way from that moment forward, generally for the better. They become more humane in many different respects. And since there is this cause-effect, meaning they, one experiences this extraordinary event, and they are then subsequently changed from that moment forward, suggests, well, you know what, even if they're not piercing the veil and experiencing another reality, the fact that they are transformed in a generally positive way is maybe what matters most of all. But these individuals are very curious. Why me, they say. Um, what just happened? I just had an experience that I, I'm, I'm afraid to share with others. Should I see a psychiatrist? And, 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 figure out, am I going crazy? They, they have a spiritual emergency initially. Why wouldn't they? they? They have these kinds of experiences that would knock the socks off of anyone. They contend that space and time don't exist. They perceive their body from above. Uh, they, they visit other worlds. No, what is going on? I'm not advocating that, that, that this is indeed true. I'm saying we only have to keep an open mind to the possibility that at least some of the many millions of people who have these types of experiences on an annual basis 
may in fact be having these experiences. And we can only ask questions more than provide answers to the kinds of questions and issues that these individuals are presenting. Um, but the point is the, the, the psychological, sociological, physical sciences needs to take this much more seriously than they already do. And there's even a new discipline called neurotheology that is attempting to do that, trying to uh, correlate areas in the brain that are aligned with spirituality and religiosity. And we do see areas of the brain that do subserve spirituality, but they don't necessarily explain these kinds of peak experience events the access to other dimensions that people are reporting. And the bottom line question is this, are you the brain? Are you the 100 billion neurons that sits between your ears? Uh, and now my gut feeling at least says, no, I could be wrong and I'm fooling myself, but we all ask that. Uh, and this is one way possibly to look at that is consciousness uh, whatever that is, and that's a poorly understood term, and we use it interchangeably in inappropriate ways, but is my sense of being aware, that I am being aware, does that exist independent of brain function? And can that possibly persist after bodily death? We are talking with Dr. Robert Davis, PhD. He is the author of an amazing book, even if you are not of a scientific bent, challenge yourself to read this book because it addresses the big questions and in a very open-minded yet scientific way. And I'm going to follow up that comment on the other side of the break with a question about who is looking at this for what purpose, with what agenda, and how do we get into these wild, raging controversies over things that could simply be viewed as abstruse science, but instead become hotly contested issues. And for me, I do a talk show, so that's where the fun is. <laughs> You're listening to Manson Mitchell. We're talking with Dr. Robert Davis, PhD, author of Unseen Forces, The Integration of Science, Reality, and You. And you are going to be treated to some more of his wonderful intellect and all the implications of study into mind, and that's with a capital M. Extraordinary stuff. More to come on the other side of a short break. Stay tuned to Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. We will be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mance and Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. <laughs> hey, everyone. You know, let's all stop what we're doing right now. And take a moment. 
That felt good, huh? Just like that, we had a nice, special sort of moment. Together. Of course, they don't all need to be quiet moments to be special. They could be loud moments, goofy moments, sporty moments, dorky moments. Moments where we talk or walk or just hang out. It doesn't really matter. They all count. Because every time dads like us take a moment like that to spend with our kids, well, it's pretty momentous. <laughs> Sounds like somebody agrees. So let's take a moment to make a moment today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Dr. Robert Davis, professor and researcher who writes about consciousness and unseen forces. On Saturday, Eric Maisel discusses the schizoid American character that is alternately capable of naked self-interest and exceptional generosity. Bringing you Fascinating Toxins 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. Suzanne, just go ahead and out with it. Say it. What is it? You're, you're, you're gesticulating at me I and I can't I want to make sure read. that uh, Bob Davis gives out his website and how he can get oh, his Oh, you're book. talking about our famous marketing piece. Well, duh. Of course. I'm going to say the title of the book again just for good measure. Unseen Forces. The Integration of Science, Reality, and You, Robert Davis, Ph.D. And, Bob, what we do is the marketing piece after we take our break so that you can tell people how, and, of course, Amazon.com is going to carry it, but the ways people can get in contact with you, website, do you have a newsletter, do you answer email questions, any way in which people interested in this fascinating material of yours can talk more directly with you about it. Uh, well, they could certainly visit my website, bobdavisspeaks.com, and communicate me uh, through uh, that uh, uh, mechanism and uh, they get information about me and my other books. Or uh, they could contact me via email, uh, davisri57 at yahoo.com. Uh, but only if they have good questions. I don't want to get flooded with 10 million emails. You know how that's like, I'm sure. Uh, but I look forward to hearing some of the questions that your audience might have. Okay, very good. And well, thank you for that. It's it's a wonderful book and it, it's a challenging book and that's good. I like to take on a good challenge once in a while. There, I One of the things that I love, Bob, when it comes to academia, I think that universities with a, a sort of a corporate, if, if not simply communal self-image in the world of the university, I love it that you don't consider yourself a, a reputable institution of higher learning if you do not have a philosophy department. It, you may not be able to get a master's or PhD there, but most any university is going to have a program and they'll encourage people to take it as a minor. You need a minor? Hey, come to philosophy. And I love that part, Bob, because with philosophy, you enter a world of endless speculation and you are able to address the big questions, be challenged by them and get into intellectual debate, which as time goes on and we go on to make a living, most people don't engage in or indulge in when there are bills to be paid. But during that time of life, those learning years, post-secondary, it's wonderful to look at 
science and, and to address metaphysical questions from an intellectual perspective. Your book helps with that greatly. Well, well thank you very much. Um, and, and you raise a critical point, and that is, if we look at the concept of consciousness, which underlies the foundation for what we are talking about truly, we, if we ask a scientist and a philosopher, what is consciousness? And guess what? We're going to get two very diametrically opposed answers. Uh, and that's why uh, those in each discipline, among other disciplines, need to have a better comprehension of those other disciplines in order to better integrate uh, and, and understand the essence of knowledge and information uh, that is holistic in nature, so that we don't get too what narrowly focused in just our separate discipline without regard for other principles and considerations that are unique to others. And that is a problem. That is a major problem. Um, uh, thus, again, we go back to the need for idealism, that paradigm shift. Uh, in order to better understand what reality is, what consciousness is, we have to collectively uh, develop criteria that is agreed upon and easily applied so that everyone is on the same footing, such that we know what consciousness is, we know what an out-of-body or near-death experience is, we know what reality is, but yet we there is tremendous debate that is ongoing. And that's okay. Let there be debate, not debunking. Let there be skepticism. That's critical. And that's inherent in the, in the scientific method. Uh, but let's come to some uniform agreement about these major concepts that we keep on talking about. Uh, and otherwise, we're not going to evolve to the next level of understanding what life is all about, whether or not I am the brain, and whether or not people are interacting with alternate realities as they claim. You know, one of the things yeah. that you said in your book that I found so interesting was that as scientists are not debunking necessarily, but very skeptical using the scientific method, and, and not really considering, don't have the funding and can't really consider these uh, questions that go beyond the physical, beyond the five senses. You say in the book, that's really interesting that these same scientists go to church on Sunday. Yes. So th they're praying to a non-human entity <laughs> for you know forgiveness and healing and, and all that kind of stuff. What are they doing in church when on Monday morning, they're right back saying, uh, oh, this is a bunch of hooey, you know, and it doesn't exist. And I, I started laughing because I never heard it put exactly that way. But I also wanted to mention something about alternate realities, because this was a conversation Gary and I were having this morning, talking about having multiple realities available in generally, generally the same space-time continuum. And that is... You go outside and you look at the ant world and you say, wow, here's all these ants. They're all in a line. They're gathering food. They're going underground. They're, they've got, they're, they're procreating. They're creating more ants. They're surviving. They're, they're living. They're eating. They're sleeping. They're doing whatever is in the ant world. Those ants know nothing about computers, 
cars, you know, stuff like that, because their world is the ant world. Take the same thing with something like bacteria. You know, you can't can't see it without a microscope, but you know, you look in a microscope and oh, there's a, there's a whole world of bacteria going on. And the bacteria world and the ant world don't necessarily know each other and then throw humans into that mix. Somehow we think we are the tip top of the chain so that the ants are below us and ignorant and the bacteria are below us and ignorant. But what isn't to say that there is a whole other reality of non-human entities that are watching us humans the way we look at the ants or the way we look at the bacteria with some kind of casual observation. Oh, look at what those humans are doing now. They might be in the same space-time continuum. We don't happen to see them because we don't have the senses that would see in that particular um, uh, array of, uh, uh, of color. I, I had been told years ago that bees see in ultraviolet light, and that's how they can identify where the pollen is. We don't see ultraviolet light. So why could there not be an alternate reality that's living, you know, right in the same place we are, and we just don't, we just don't see that it's there? I, I think that's a really interesting possibility. Well, it is indeed a, a possibility that should not be completely dismissed regardless of what discipline or degree one may have. Um, and when we look at some of these theories in quantum mechanics uh, and their associated theories, uh, it allows the string theory, the quantum hologram theory, the multiverse theory, it allows many different theories, allows for the fact that there can very well be many dimensions that we don't see and, and that we don't have access to, but they're there nevertheless. And mine's much greater than mine, like Stephen Hawking, uh, proposed that indeed you can have different universes in one ultimate existence. And he called it the multiverse. Uh, and he went on to explain, mathematically derived, uh, why that is. Now, I don't fully understand it, uh, but nevertheless, this, this links into the concepts of wormholes and black holes and, uh, and, and, and all that sort of stuff that seems enigmatic on many levels. But he's not the only one. There are many physicists other than him that ascribe to similar viewpoints. Uh, uh, one comes to mind, physicist Brian Greene, he said there's, there's many multiverses out of, out of, uh, that come out of the string theory. Uh, and he went on to say that, that it allows for entities to coexist with ours and that they may even have access into ours. Uh, well, you know, you, you hear, you hear. It doesn't mean that they're right. It doesn't mean that these great minds who who uh, publicize uh, their works uh, in, in uh, leading journals uh, it doesn't mean that just because they say this they're right. It doesn't mean that I wrote this book. Uh, it doesn't mean that it, it is valid. Well, I didn't make any firm conclusion, but we first, of course, have to raise these possibilities, and until we do, and that's. And many academicians within university settings are reluctant to for fear of ridicule, although many do, although many remain in the closet, so to speak, and, and don't 
uh, for that fear of ridicule. Uh, we will never evolve uh, as fast as we should uh, in terms of science and in terms of spirituality, uh, because if we don't, if we don't understand the fact that these possibilities exist, well, then we won't look at it. Then we won't study it to prove or disprove their existence. And one way to do it is to look at peak experiences. These individuals, again, who have near-death experiences, not a body experiences. When people have a near-death experience, they're, they're resuscitated. They've been uh, so-called clinically dead for a period of time, although they can't be dead. The fact that they're revived confirms that they were not dead, but cl certainly close to death. But they say they possess knowledge of other dimensions without the body. And that, again, we see this distortions of time and space, and, and, and they're linked with the memories and consciousness of, of others, including their deceased relatives. And there's, there's correlations that you can make between their subjective experience and principles in quantum mechanics. And that's what's uniquely interesting. We're seeing parallels in their reports with principles in science. Now, again, it doesn't prove that the near-death experience is actually that, where one's consciousness leaves the body and experiences another realm. Uh, but there are so many aspects associated with the near-death experience that are, that are impossible to dismiss. And one of them is like a shared death experience. People who are emotionally close to one who has a near-death experience actually experiences it, him or herself. And they could be far away from the person having that experience and experience it at the same time, especially, again, if they're emotionally close or phys uh, physically related. Uh, and we see evidence in uh, uh, ESP that also shows this unique linkage between individuals uh, who also are close in this regard. If you start to piece together the evidence from different places, NDEs, ESP, or out-of-body experiences, you can't help and scientific principles, you can't help, at least I can't, raise certain questions that challenge the existing paradigm of uh, realism. We, we have to be sensitive to the fact that what people are saying, and millions of people are saying the same thing and being transformed in generally the same way, we have to regard that as very significant evidence that somehow should be correlated with scientific principles such that we have the subjective experience and the reinforcement of that experience with objective evidence. And we do see that. Now, it's not as bold as I would like it to be, not clear cut enough to be the featured headline on, on uh, uh, the CNN news this evening. But nevertheless, nevertheless, there are hints that are moving in this direction that largely tell us that it's a distinct possibility that we do have uh, individuals, at least some, who can access this other realm and come away with it with the realization that they are not they're just their physical body anymore, and that they will persist, persist after bodily death. Why? Because they saw it, they experienced it, and they know it like the back of their hand. And I wish I could. Now, if they're living an illusion, 
okay, as long as they benefit and become more of an ideal individual and have a greater sense of self-realization, knowledge of the world, and are more compassionate, more sensitive to the ecology of our planet, and especially other people. And that's what we see. And if it is indeed an illusion, well, let's try to bottle whatever that formula is and dispense it worldwide in, in everyone's drinking water. I mean, that, that is the bottom line. And if we can get a greater uh, understanding about the nature of reality and the possibility of alternate realities, that would be great too. It would be. But, you know, if we did come to that realization, that in other words, there is an alternate dim uh, dimension. There are non-human entities interacting with, with humans, as millions claim throughout time, in fact. We see evidence uh, depicted in many different ways. Uh, if that was announced, if that was indeed accepted as fact, that would certainly uh, create an overwhelming response in many different ways on both a personal and societal level. And I don't know if our culture, our people are ready for that. Uh, I, I, I don't know. That is a matter for speculation. Uh, can we handle it? Can our religious institutions, our eco economic uh, status, uh, our personal sense of, of the world, uh, it, can that be, can that have a positive impact on all that? I think initially, no. Maybe over time, yes, indeed, as we integrate that extraordinary information. But it is going to be too much information too soon for too many to adapt to. Bob, I, I told you I had two big takeaways from your book. The, and the first one was that ultimate question of, uh, other realities versus uh, seeing things differently in the reality that we have here. The second one had to do with your, your Einstein quote, all religions, arts, and sciences are branches of the same tree. And after I got thinking about this for quite a while, I said to myself, I don't think that a study of consciousness is going to be done through the branch of science. And, and that would be, it, to me, it seems like such a, a non-sequitur. It would be analogous to my getting inside my oven in order to drive to the grocery store. It is not the right vehicle. It's not a vehicle that is going to get us to consciousness. And I will go so far as to opine that science will actually hold us back with the Western thinking and the Newtonian mechanics. There's a little bit of hope here in the quantum thinking, which is current. But I don't think that science is the right vehicle for even studying consciousness and when Einstein talks about religions, arts, and sciences, today's science is the new religion. It ha everything has to go through science to be verified, and I just disagree with that completely at this point. It's been held up as being uh, too authoritative. And when you're looking at a different type of, of energy, I like when you say 
in yoga and meditation and and all of those things that create a new energy pattern in the body are there to help one's consciousness be more in touch and ultimately to um, achieve a peace and a oneness with the universe. When you're talking about, you know, once we find this, we ought to put it in the drinking water so that everybody can enjoy it. I don't think that it's going to come through science. And that is an opinion I got from reading your book. You don't say that. You very, very carefully thread the needle between between metaphysical and physical, between being uh, looking at things from a very scientific way and looking at all the evidence that is is beyond the five senses. So I don't see that you land hard on any side. You're, you're just positing all of these things. But after I read your book, I said the advancement for humanity and consciousness is not going to come through science at all. So what do you think about that? Well, I, I think you're in very insightful, and I agree. You know, you, human consciousness is, is one of the most, which we call it, the far-reaching ambiguities of our time. It's like asking um, how we think about our own thinking or how we kind of become aware of our own awareness. Uh, is it me telling my brain I want to meditate now, or is it the brain telling me to go lie down and meditate now? Uh, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Look, the study of consciousness is highly fragmented. Uh, neuroscientists, anesthesiologists, consciousness to them is uh, a, the waking state. How much of propofol is required to make you tolerate this, this incision in your skin uh, and nothing more? Again, you ask a, a psychologist, you might get a little bit of a softer opinion about consciousness in terms of, of daily living, uh, experiential. Uh, you ask a philosopher, you, know, you get a little bit more uh, into the uh, metaphysical realm. Uh, or what is the essence of you kind of questions? Uh, what is the subjective sense of I? Why did life arise from lifeless matter? Uh, but the point is this. The term consciousness, which probably is not going to be revealed uh, by pure heart science, unless they maybe study biophotons that could subserve that, that perspective. Uh, the fact that it is so fragmented among the various disciplines, and now we don't have a good, clear-cut, distinct handle on what consciousness actually is, which is why we haven't resolved it, despite the endless stream of papers that have been written on, on, on the topic. It, is, it has been nothing but a source of controversy and debate, and it's fun to do so. But there's no, I agree, there's no a conclusion, uh, just different opinions. But the point is this, we need to come, we need to now come to some resolution by integrating the perspectives among the various disciplines. And that's not an easy task at all. It's beyond daunting. And I try as best as I can, but we need greater minds than myself to, in order to tr successfully accomplish the task of integrating all the fragmented pieces out there into one overarching coherent whole. That is, what is consciousness? How can we use that agreed upon term as a basis or foundation for understanding the true nature of reality? Is it just my physical senses and my interpretation that my brain provides for it in a neurophysiological way? Or is there more to reality than just 
the 100 billion neurons between my two ears doing their thing and providing me with information upon which I interpret and make decisions about the present and the future. Uh, it's easier said than done. And I think we're not in a position to successfully do it, largely, largely because there are so many scientists that are very much biased in, in, in feeling that their way is the only way. You know, consciousness is when I wake up and when I go to sleep, and that's it. Or is it more than that? Is it more than that? Is it more? Is is it represented, in other words, by one experiencing that alternate reality? achieved in various ways. But the thing is this, even though we have different means of experiencing this alternate realm of existence, as people claim, and I'm not saying again that it is 100% valid, they, the, the fact that there is a unique similarity of experience, sensations and perception, and psychosocial after effects in the form of behavioral transformations facilitated by that peak experience event the, that alone that alone and that and that there is good evidence to support that that alone is a, a, it should serve as a foundation for considerably more research than currently allocated by by scientists and non-scientists across many disciplines but the, and that's why we need that multidisciplinary approach not for neurosciences alone or philosophers alone to focus their attention and study it, because you're going to get an answer that is only unique to that discipline. It's going to be biased and therefore likely incorrect. Unless we have yes. a, that integrated effort, I agree with you. We're not going to make very much um, headway um, now. You're right. It, Robert Davis, PhD, this gentleman has graced our program. We must have you back again so that we can jump into that big pool of investigation in an integrated fashion, because you really know how to bring it during an interview, Bob. Thanks so much. Once again, Robert Davis, PhD, is the author of Unseen Forces, The Integration of Science, Reality, and You. Thanks again, Bob. We'll do it again. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. You're excellent hosts. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up next is Christine Upchurch, followed by Susan Harmon, followed by the American Road Trip Talk. And Suzanne Mitchell is going to be I'm gonna guest, guest co-host. Yeah, I'm going to host. Yeah, we got stuff guess. to talk about, we so do. stay tuned to AM 1150, Seattle's home of alternative talk. Have a great weekend, everyone. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.